This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. Do the sci-fi films of the 1980s make for the best documentaries? The way I see it, if you're gonna make a documentary, why not do it with some style? Once again, it's time for The Idiots. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. Welcome back to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of idiots. My name is Will, and joining me, as always, is my friend and co-host and safely secured and still COVID-19 free, Ray. How you doing, Ray? Yep, I'm I'm still over here at Red Dawn uh, Station, I'm gonna, hoping not to have to go outside today. I'm going to need you to take your temperature and hold it up to the camera there on Zoom so I can see that um, you're... Yeah. I never get sick, so it's it's fine. You can keep that microphone, by the way. I meant to mention that to you. <laughs> I never want that. So, hey, we have a very special uh, or different episode. I say special, guys, you know, and I'm talking to our two guests today, and I automatically think about the TV shows in the 80s where we learned, you know, uh, something bad had happened, and so a sitcom suddenly was going to take a more serious tone. But anyway, we have a special episode today because joining us for the entirety of the show are our guests, David Weiner and Robin Block, the director and producer, respectively, of the upcoming documentary about 1980 science fiction films In Search of Tomorrow. Greeting, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks a lot for having us. Happy to be here. So on our show, you know, we normally touch base on a number of things, including what's going on with 80s news. This is not going to surprise you two gentlemen because, hey, it's, it's your business, but everything old is new again. There's just so much for, you know, and I'm grateful for it, but uh, as further proof of our thesis of our show that the 1980s, there's something special about it that endures well beyond uh, our, our youth, aside from nostalgia, and I know we're going to talk about nostalgia in a moment, there's still plenty of news to talk about uh, where we've got 80s things happening today. Speaking of documentaries, have you seen that there's a trailer now for the Beetlejuice, the long-coming Beetlejuice documentary? Uh, it's the uh, Beetlejuice documentary for the recently deceased. Mm-hmm. So are you guys, as documentary uh, documentarians, documentary filmmakers, are you fans <laughs> of other documentaries? Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. I think it's a real challenge to um, you know get a movie about a specific movie off the ground. So I'm, I'm excited about uh, Beetlejuice, um, and definitely when it's I wasn't aware the trailer came out, but I knew about that in production. So we'll probably share that on our on our socials. Um, but yeah, like I think the uh, the themes and the memories we have of watching those movies are so powerful that, um, you know, we want to learn more. Learning more about these movies adds to the experience of watching these movies. And that's what's very powerful about this kind of 30-year global time warp we seem to be experiencing. Audiences are so much more receptive to documentaries in, in current times than I think they ever were, especially when there's a pop culture connection to it. And, uh, you know, there's so many wonderful movies across the history of cinema, but the 80s has something especially colorful and special about it. And so any one of these films, you could you could obviously, you know, if you're watching Crystal Lake Memories or, uh, you know, Never Sleep Again uh, in the horror genre, you could you could go four or six hours talking about 
Nightmare on Elm Street or, or the Friday the 13th franchise. And so, you know, Beetlejuice, Tim Burton, it, it's a great recipe and people really do want to know more. And I think people will uh, get excited about that. I'm certainly looking forward to it. I know, and, and you, you gentlemen can speak to the challenges of getting a documentary off the ground. I know this one's been long coming, so I'm, I'm excited to see that it's finally coming out. Is I know we're talking about your your upcoming documentary, and you've made uh, two others covering films from the 1980s, one covering the action film genre and one covering the horror film genre, both of which you know are very well regarded and uh I was going to say thorough, except you know you'll get your detractor saying you know you can't you missed my movie. What genre would Beetlejuice fall into? It's a weird because there's the thing called genre bleed, sure. where you can be. Um, it, it's like the light in a candle through a lantern with a multicolored glass. You know, different <laughs> reflections, yep. right? Um, show itself. So you know, it's an '80s comedy. It's an '80s horror comedy. It has those elements and tropes um, that make it applicable to a whole bunch of genres, um, and I think that's part of its charm. Um, you know, and, and uh, Beetlejuice, there's something very profound about the time when most people experienced it. You know, as a society, we're moving increasingly into becoming a secular society. So a lot of these ideas and themes and characters have taken on a far more sort of mythic um, elevation in our minds. And mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I love seeing the the pop culture influence that Beetlejuice has had. Um, I love seeing the um, the continuation of the fandom and actually how it goes through generations. Um, and I think that's down to a lot of things, practical effects, the charm. There was something special about the effort that went into making those and the risks. Because I can't imagine greenlighting Beetlejuice. you know like i can't imagine doing that and um you know the fact that exists the fact that it has a solid fan base um that's what great art deserves great art deserves to be perennial i was going to add that tim burton in he himself is quite a genre uh you you can you can say a tim burton film and you already get an idea in your mind of what it's going to feel like and look like and you could take consistency throughout in terms of his production design uh all of his films together and so um that i would say it falls in the tim burton genre as well Mm. i know the music's gonna go like this danny elfman wow wow (laughs) depends on the film okay very good in other 80s news I don't know if you guys have, have caught, and to be honest with you, I'm not sure if this is set in the 1980s yet, but the, uh, the, the sci-fi drama Tales from the Loop premiered on Amazon Prime Video just over a week ago, and what you may not know is this is based on originally some photos by Simon Stalin, I'm going to say his name wrong, I know. Huge fan, St- huge fan. You can help so, me, Robin, Stalinag? Uh, yeah, 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 Stalinag, and um, Stalinag. he... He, uh, his work actually, when we were doing the mood board uh, yeah. originally from Search of Tomorrow, we wanted to reach out to him. Mm. Um, because his, his, um, the aura of his work is very um, representative of the 80s feel, right. 80s sort of dystopian nightmares. Right. Um, and I think it's incredible that someone's come along and just taken those influences and run with them. I haven't seen it yet. I should, yeah. I should actually watch it. I mean, He's incredible. Yeah. I, I, I was a fan of the art, 
you know, years ago when it came out and then very excited when they actually developed a role-playing game off of that and we got it. I don't know if we ever tried that, Ray. Ray and I were playing role-playing games pretty regularly. That's how nerdy we are. I did yeah, get we it. Didn't get around, we didn't get around to that one yet. Yeah, I think that I was tr- on our list. I might have tried it with my daughter and some of her friends or something like that. So yeah, to have this as a TV show now, it's pretty exciting. I did watch some of the first episode. I'm not sure how it's going to... I'm not sure where it's going. It's got that, you know dark, mysterious vibe that's captured in many of his photos. It might be a little too uh, mystery box for me at, at this point, for lack of a better mm-hmm. phrase, I suppose. I'm not sure. It, I got to give it some more time. But I'm wondering how you guys feel about these types of new properties that are, you know, leveraging the nostalgia and, you know, the tone, the vibe, et cetera, of the films that we grew up with in the 80s. So you've got your Stranger Things and now Tales from the Loop. I, I have a very specific opinion about uh, Stranger Things and its ilk is that uh, if, I think as as series, these things do very well because they, they if it's a two hour film, it just comes across as extremely derivative. Mm. But if you have the time to expand story and character built around lots of nods to homages, uh, homages and nods to the 80s and their influences, uh, I think it's a little more organic integration and it makes more sense. And it's also appreciated a little more. Whereas if you're just really trying to sort of hit, you know, touch on the greatest hits to say, hey, we knew about this and we're using this piece from this film that we loved, it really does come across as sort of ripoff territory. So that's sort of the difference. So I actually quite, uh, I, I respond to it very positively. I think it's, I really enjoy it. And I, I don't, feel like it's uh it's lost its creative source and foundation right very good in our final story in 80s news speaking of you know this sort of again leveraging things from the past how do you feel about reboots because we just got some exclusive photos this is by way of vanity fair uh from the set of the upcoming reboot of dune i guess first of all is dune covered in your in search of tomorrow I've never heard of Dune. Dune, Dune? Is, what, no. What is, no I'm, well, it's a longer I'm a, conversation we'll have to have off air. <laughs> I'm a huge, huge fan of Dune, and I don't look at this Dennis Villeneuve movie as a reboot okay. at all. It's, it's a brand new adaptation of a great classic novel, which is one of my all-time favorites. I think, I think if anything, it's going to have to come into its own, and it really needs to distance itself from David Lynch's uh, flawed masterpiece, I will call it, because I, I think it's been um, David Lynch's film did uh, is quite faithful to the book and 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 covers a tremendous amount of ground uh, in in a, a story that is extremely impenetrable and hard to encapsulate in in three hours. But I think he managed to do it, and he got a lot of flack from the people who didn't understand it and from the people who did understand it. Either way, mm-hmm. he kind of couldn't win. But I think over the years, uh, it's evolved into something that I think is, is, is really, from a production design standpoint and from a storytelling standpoint, uh, it works. So I think this new film, uh, I don't consider it a reboot at all. It's an adaptation of Frank Herbert's book. Uh, it's about time that we got another go at it on the big screen. And uh, I, I also hear that it's going to continue on, obviously, unless it's a bomb at the box office. But uh, there, there's plenty of story to tell and there's plenty of time to tell it. Arguably, it would be better for a miniseries, but I can't wait. Is, I'm excited. Good, I mean, yeah, like it's... I went to see a screening. I hadn't seen June, David Lynch's June, since I was at college. Um, And uh, I went to see a screening at an independent cinema in Leicester Square in London. 
um, last year. And, you know, the, the cinema was kind of empty and it was, I couldn't remember the movie. It had been so many years, 20 plus years since I watched it. And I loved it. And I loved it. I really let the whole thing sort of, you know, soak it up. Um, and, I, and I understand why people think it's flawed and, and why David Lynch sort of distanced himself from the project. And that probably has a lot more to do with economics than it has to do with filmmaking. But um, as to your sort of original point about how, how we feel about, how I feel about remakes, I think they're important. I mean, two of my favourite ever 80s movies are kind of remakes, reboots, you know, The Thing and The Fly. In fact, nobody minds a remake or a reboot when they get it right. Uh, And I think that, uh, you know, great work deserves to be reinterpreted for modern audience, for modern audiences, you know, and that will continue on. And, you know, it's just when they get it wrong or when it becomes just a a, a plain cash grab. I mean, the last remake stroke reboot that I watched, that I can remember watching, was the new Pet Cemetery. Okay. Which was, which was, in, you know, in my mind, it is so, so inferior to the original. And you could lump Robocop reboot into that as well. Um, and, but, then, but then, you know, they, those guys got it wrong for whatever reasons. You know, they, 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 it didn't build on the original work. It didn't expand on the original work. It didn't stand on its own. A great reboot, great remake will be in of itself. You know, it will take those themes and elevate it. It needs, to, it needs to have its, its own originality. If, it, if it's leaning a little too heavily on, on the previous film or the film that people love the most, it's already in deep trouble. All I'm going to say about this new Dune is I will be tremendously disappointed if when you go to the theater, they don't hand you a copy of the 1984 glossary that we all got mm, right, right before. I don't know if people know about that, but when you went to see Dune in 1984, you literally... They handed you a, a two-sided, very dense glossary of all the terminology of Dune. And you had about, you know, 15 minutes to study in the dark <laughs> before the movie started. And you just thought, wait a minute, what am I in for? But I think that'd be really fun if they do that. I wonder what the history of that is. Was that a studio decision? They, they saw the, you know, they saw a cut of the they film and they were like, panicked. oh no. Yeah, it had to be, right? Right, right. So... I, Oh, people are saying gum jabbar. We better put it on a glossary. <laughs> so speaking of remakes, reboots, sequels, we have two sequels for great in 1980s properties coming out this year. I believe both of their dates have been pushed back. Well, I think one of them was already late. But uh, Ghostbusters, I'm thinking of, and Bill and Ted both get sequels this year. What are your feelings about sequels? Are you excited to look forward to you know seeing these uh, stories continued 30 years later? Sure. I, you know, <laughs> Wholehearted. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm two sides of the coin for me. You know, I don't need these. I really don't. But if they're going to do it, I want it to be a continuation of the story. And again, not leaning on the original. So listen, if you want to have the uh, original cast members returning, take the story somewhere where I care about what's happening. And I'm not trying to relive the glory moments of the previous films. Uh, obviously, you want some nods to the original, but you've got to take it to the next level somehow. Uh, so I, I will be watching these movies uh, with interest, with cautious optimism. Uh, I didn't need them, but sometimes a film I didn't know I needed becomes a film that I love. You know, I felt that way about Solo. Um, 
Uh, I thought Solo was a film I never needed, but I knew I would see it, and I was pleasantly surprised and quite enjoyed it. Yep. Now I'm just waiting for the deep fake where they put Harrison Ford's face. Oh on. yes, <laughs> I keep saying about the next Indiana Jones. Can't we just do a? Can't we just do a mocap of somebody who's younger? Get and you know do let's do a, a sequel that takes place in the 1940s. You know, and uh, I've, I've been I've been saying for quite some time to my friends that uh, I want a Pixar Star Wars where it's just voiced by the original cast, and uh, yeah. you can you can go anywhere you want to in an adventure that happens before the Empire Strikes Back. Right. Right. That was actually kind of something we were talking about where I had mentioned like um, the sequels. If they just went back and did the cartoony versions of the ones that Lucas wanted to do and just had the guys do the voices. Yeah, I'd like to see Splinter of the Mind's Eye, but it has to be entirely in that heavy metal animation style from the Star Wars uh, <laughs> yeah. holiday special. That would be great. Can't be anything else. Mm. Yes. Okay, hey, that was 80s news. You didn't know it, but that was still 80s news, and now it's over. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. So, hey, guys, thanks for talking to us today. It's very exciting. We appreciate you sharing the news about the upcoming, forthcoming, In Search of Tomorrow, your documentary that's going to chronicle the exciting, fast-paced world of 1980s science fiction films, and we expect it'll be of, of the same level and quality and volume as your previous efforts. Mm-hmm. Uh, in brief, I think it's, you know, you both have a different path to how you got here um, making these films to begin with. And so I wanted to touch base with you shortly um, each and see how did you get to this point where you're making documentaries about uh, things that you love? Uh, we'll start with uh, you, Robin. I'll give you the really abbreviated version. I hit 40 and I was like, I want to do meaningful work. And I discovered YouTube and I was becoming a real, um, you know, YouTube was such an eye opener for me because, um, you know, I feel that it's a great place to spot talent. And I came across a channel uh, called Oliver Harper's Retrospectives and he covers pretty much 80s and 90s movies. And I found his retrospectives like, incredible. I used to binge watch them. He was the first creator that I supported on Patreon. Um, and uh, I'd run media companies in London, and I had a background as a documentary um, producer um, before I started corporate businesses. Um, so I reached out to him, and I said, look, I love your channel. Um, you know, I think I can help build it. And so we, we started you know, chatting, getting together, and um, I said to him, look, you've got a really committed audience. Why don't you crowdfund the documentary, and I'll help put that together. And I asked him, you know, what do you want to do it on? And he was like, how about 80s action movies? And I was like, great, let's do it. So I actually set up Creator VC um, as a vehicle to develop that first production. And it was such a you know, fantastic experience. And I remember just going to work the first day on that project and loving it and thinking, you know what? This is what I want to do always. Um, and not because it was just, you know, an 80s documentary and not because, um, you know, it was action movies, but because it was something that was very, very meaningful to me personally. Um, and I felt that what, we've, what we're tapping into is to do with nostalgia, to, to do with, you know, the memories we have of watching these movies, the times in our lives when they came out, um, that kind of stuff that was very powerful. Um, and so midway through that production, I decided that actually, you know, I wanted to 
do something epic for 80s horror. So 80s horror was the, the, the thing that I, I was very drawn to from my own childhood and also the artwork and the resurgence in that. Uh, and, and really that's, that's how all of this sort of happens. So did, you, um, did you have experience in the entertainment industry uh, otherwise? Yeah, yeah. I, I know I'd, I'd done, I'd worked for all the major networks in the UK. I'd, I'd released documentaries. I even had a distribution label many years ago. So I was quite, and I sort of veered off into business. Um, and I wanted to sort of veer back into something that, you know, was a intrinsic part of what I do. Um, so I had that sort of business experience. I knew how to run, you know, run a company and build a team and, and that kind of stuff. And we just started small. And now, um, you know, in, within 18 months, we developed, crowdfunded, produced and released two critically acclaimed documentaries. So that journey from having to take the idea to raise the capital, to pull the team together, to make it happen, has been like an incredible journey. But for In Search of Tomorrow, like we're dialing everything up to 11. Mm. Um, this isn't even, you know, the value proposition for that, for our, our sci-fi documentary isn't just about, you know, a Blu-ray at the end of the rainbow. It's about creating value for backers from day one. So we want to create the most immersive 80s sci-fi experience, you know, ever. Um, we want people to get value from day one. And we want to use the power of entertainment to bring people together. There's something very, very special about 80s sci-fi. If I look at our demographic from our backers, the people that we have in our community already, um, they're all really cool. Um, you know, they all have, you know, the, the age is probably, I would say, about 30 to 45. Um, and you know, they've, all, they've all got jobs, they've all got families, all, got all these commitments. But this is like a couple of hours a week where they can just sort of tap into something which is just them again, they're free again. And that's, that's the power of AT cinema. Um, so, you know, I'm really, really excited. I want to make, we, we made history with the, with the um, In Search of Darkness. And that went beyond my wildest expectations. But we did that, we executed on that. Um, and I really want to go, you know, I want to dial everything up uh, to 11 for In Search of Tomorrow. Um, what I... What I discovered with uh this material is that uh it's a wide range of quality of the material but it's 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 an equal playing field for everybody for different reasons it's really a comfort blanket blanket it's like you know it's comfort food these movies and so for every major film when you have like you know aliens or robocop or et uh, you know, Star Wars franchise, Star Trek. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, it you could have Mac and me, and that no. means some, something to that. someone. That, <laughs> well, you can, though. That's that's what I've discovered. You could easily be cynical about a lot of these things. Uh, but a lot of these films, uh, you know, Creature, uh, it, it doesn't matter what it is, in Seminoid, Hangar 18, they, they, someone saw that when they were young, mm -hmm. and it meant something to them. And it's a it's a movie that they return to because it brings back a certain time in their life when they were very happy, and uh, it brought them escape or joy or comfort. And and that's what's cool about all these films um, because they're perceived very differently, but for each person, it's an escape for a different reason, and it's a happy one. Right. 
And, and again, in short, I want to give you your opportunity, David. You have a different path than Robin, it seems, uh, because as far as I can tell, you've been on, you know, uh, mining your your youth uh, for, for content <laughs> for years now, and, you know, to, to great yep. success. Uh, how is it that you fell into doing that? Uh, mining my, my youth for my content. Well, yeah, yes. Well, that was a ridiculous question. How did you? Well, did, no, I, I like the concept. Yeah, I mean, it's, yes. So we'll stick with that then. Yeah. Well, it's something where uh, I've found, listen, listen, for years and years and years and years, I used to think to myself, I'd have all this useless, these useless factoids in my brain, you know, hours and hours and hours of absorbing content and, and, and thinking about it and discussing it with my friends. And I always felt that there's got to be a way that I, I can make a living off of this. But ultimately, it comes down to not do, how do I make a buck? It's how do I share this? How do I share this knowledge? And, and I get tremendous reward from being able to, and we were doing this before our, our podcast started, I was showing you toys oh, and yeah. you were responding and saying, oh my God, I can't believe you have that. And, yeah. and there's, there's a certain... Uh, there's a certain uh, jolt of, of, of electricity of the nostalgia of being able to connect with someone over something as as silly as a toy, a piece of plastic. And so memories of, of, of activities, of pop culture, of items, of things we watched, uh, I get tremendous joy being able to share that with like-minded people and to introduce it to people who had never seen that before. And so I... I, I I consider myself a bit of a nostalgic curator for that for the the seventies and the eighties, but you know, uh, earlier and later afterwards. Right. So, and you know, the premise of our show is that we believe, apart from nostalgia, the nineteen eighties birth the most amazing pop culture, certainly in contemporary time, more than any prior decade or since. And there's a number of different things that you know go into why we think that is, and we're trying to examine that over time. You chose the nineteen eighties. You know, presumably based on what you both just told me, was the connection you have from your youth and the, the feelings like you're talking about, David, that you, you have from seeing these films, you know, certain pivotal points in your life. Do you think an argument can be made aside from that, that the 1980s still had the, the best science fiction films, for example? I, 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 I would not argue that. Uh, I, I think each decade has its virtues for each generation. Uh, especially when they look back fondly on the films that inspired them and uh, inspired their creativity and inspired uh, filmmakers themselves and creators themselves to create content that reflected the stuff that really inspired them. But, you know, you can go to the, the universal, you know, horror films, you can go to Ray Harryhausen movies, you can go to the, you know, George Powell, War of the Worlds. It doesn't matter what it is. The Planet of the Apes movies, 2001, Kubrick. Uh, all, these, all these movies are, are building blocks towards the 80s. And when you get to the 80s, you have an explosion of filmmaking and a diversion, uh, a divergent path that uh, filmmaking took when, you know, Lucas and Spielberg came along and changed the game with their blockbusters. Uh, all of a sudden, Hollywood wanted to do the same thing and they started swinging for the fences. And the way films were made uh, and marketed were, were radically different when it came to sci-fi. Uh, and so, um, each generation has what they love, but uh, the 80s is special almost for a, uh, a financial reason in terms of the way creative content was made. Sure. So what I heard you say was the 80s made it better. 
that's kind of the feeling. The cereal I got was too. sweeter. The cereal, <laughs> yeah. both the cereal was sweeter. Sugar, hey, yeah. uh, do you guys think um, you mentioned uh, the fly, the thing? We, we said the blob. Um, why have companies stopped uh, remaking fifties movies? Because that seems to be the ticket to success with these things. I'm not going to take credit for this because this is something that Joe Dante said in the horror documentary, but I agree with him. It's very, there's this 30 year sort of global time warp with nostalgia. And so the filmmakers that were iconic, making iconic work in the eighties, they were influenced by the fifties because that was the generation they were part of, but we skip now generations. So the eighties is what the modern filmmakers Mm. are building on and it's quite a tough act to follow the interesting part and i'm starting to see signs of it is the 90s although from my perspective it wasn't as creatively diverse you're starting to see the 90s now the 90s nostalgia seep through into pop culture and so that sort of theory i think has has a lot of weight behind it you say you know 90s nostalgia i wouldn't even know what that is I mean, and i try to think try to think of this objectively it's not just a you know tongue-in-cheek uh, tagline for our show here that the 80s seems so you know vibrant and colorful and i know a part of that is just it's my memories are tied to that but the 90s it starts to get vague like what the 90s would even stand for like uh, that could be i completely agree okay, you know one of the projects we're looking at doing going into like a de- development phase next year is a 90s project, a, a, a continuation of the 80s in such a darkness, um, but looking at the 90s. And it's a lot, it's a tough, it's a tougher mm. proposition. You know, the 80s were like a renaissance, an explosion. Right. You get these volcanoes of creativity where everything, technology, the right people, the right atmosphere, you know, the socio-political context, all of those elements all sort of combine together to create this environment where great art, memorable art is created. But I do believe that every era has their own linchpins, you know, their own um, their own iconic work. In the 90s, some amazing stuff uh, came out. Um, and I think it was a decade figuring out what it was. Well, um, it... it- to that to that point, uh, there, there's a very definitive changeover in terms of genre filmmaking that is entirely uh, related to c- CGI uh, and 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 the absence of practical effects with the taking over of CGI and and Jurassic Park changing the game and everyone wanted to be like that and the the technology leading into uh, Jurassic Park, and then the explosion afterwards, and the 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 reliance turning over from practical effects to CGI, is actually quite interesting. In you, in in sort of a baby taking its you know a toddler taking its first steps, and then becoming more assured as as time is going on. Uh, I think you can look at the way effects were made and the way films revolved around those effects. That's a whole element that you can focus on, independent of the stories that uh, the stories that they chose to tell during the '90s. Mm, right. It seems like in following generations, and certainly now, a lot of the use of CGI. You're right; is moving reliance on special effects and not story. And so, oftentimes, we see effects in films where I think just because you can make someone do that doesn't mean you just that line from Jurassic Park. I think right doesn't right. mean you should. Anyway, so do you think that there's, you're looking at the 90s here, we're talking about the focus on the 80s, and again, you know, because we're middle-aged folks, and that's where we, the era that we came up in, do you think there's a shelf life on this 80s uh, 
you know, vintage, you know, or yeah, I did. Culture. I suddenly think about a lot because we're going to be bringing out a sequel to In Search, a direct sort of update, straight sequel to In Search of Darkness here this, this October. It's coming out, oh, wow. so we've got additional two and a half hours of content with some new interviews. Hopefully, with some new interviews, we can we're allowed to film interviews again at some point. Um, but uh, uh, you know, it's something I think about a lot. Um, the we, we've had these touchstone properties like Stranger Things, which kind of you know ring the bell for eighties nostalgia, and um, we're very grateful to the eighties community. Shows exactly like yours, um, and there's many social media accounts, pages. The fandom with eighties is so strong; it will be there forever as far as i'm concerned but if we're talking about the crossover we're talking about timing and like anything fads come and go you know um the uh, and i would expect it and and i would expect a resurgence again in the future you know i feel that we were very fortunate with the timing for in search of darkness you know i think that definitely played a part but like anything people and audiences will move on um but there is there's almost a reverence for 80s movies and a universality of, of you know, I'm, I'm trying to get my four-year-old daughter to watch 80s movies with me. You know? That's a good dad. That's a, hey, it's my responsibility, right? But the, the thing is that they, modern movies for modern audiences work differently. I often feel that, and I don't know about you guys, that it would be interesting to, to ask you actually, but... I have such a love and fondness for so many 80s movies, but not all of them I can sit down and watch. Sure. You know? mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if you've ever done the Star Wars sort of like chronological viewing um, where you start with the prequels and by the end of the prequels, they get quite good. And then you go to sort of disco 1977 <laughs> and there's a complete <laughs> sort <of> disconnect. <laughs> yeah. Filmmaking style, right? right. Um, like it's that kind of thing. And, um, it, it's quite interesting listening to my friends with kids that are a little bit older than mine that are watching Star Wars um, for the first time. They're like, what is this? Yeah. This like, <laughs> amazing. You know, they're used to like fast cutting every, you know, let's move the story along. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> and it's, not, it's not quite in that vein. So who knows? Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. raising my children right. I'm skipping the prequels, Robin. Right, right. I like the prequels. But... I like the prequels. I like the pre. Once you get through the first one, you know. Yeah, once you get by that first one, rites of passage. But this is this is the whole thing we're talking about. This is you know the the expanded universe of Star Wars could apply to any of the eighties films that we love. You know, the new mm-hmm. Bill and Ted's, the new like. There's enough of us that are like, look, we know it's not. We know emotionally, we're not going to connect with it the same way we did with Ghostbusters originally, or. You know, but I'm still interested in the expanded universe, the continuation of that story. Yeah. You know, that the, the films were that good that we'll keep watching. Well, it's like you you watch you go to a concert and you see any band and you like to hear their new stuff, but you're still waiting for the hits, mm-hmm. right? You <laughs> want them to play the hits, and they're so tired of playing the hits, but they know <laughs> that the hits drive it, right? And so, you know, whether it's Ghostbusters or Bill and Ted, you know, it's not going to be the same. You're hoping that there's going to be some new territory. But of course, you know, contrary to what I said earlier, we all want to see the, the two of them go. 
excellent and it's worth the price of admission right seeing that decades later uh and you just hope the 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 film that they build around it is good and not just you know a, a a tremendous disappointment but i think everyone has to temper their expectations with with these legacy sequels you know that come out you know, comparing our, speaking of Star Wars and comparing our youths to others, because ours was the best. It just happens <laughs> to be, it's not nostalgia. We just got lucky when we were born. You I know, think we did get lucky. Yeah, it's like someone being adopted by Madonna or something. You just got lucky. <laughs> if you were born in the 70s, yeah. and I feel like you, you lucked out. You yeah. know? I ask kids today, you know, so like talking to my children or or, or their friends, etc. even some of the kids that are, you know, maybe 20 years young, kids, you know, adults that are another of another era, what so okay so Star Wars you didn't grow up with so you maybe you don't feel as strongly as about as I do. What was your Star Wars? And so many of them don't have an answer. And I don't know what it was maybe about that era of filmmaking or childhood or the nexus of those two things that you know have other generations struggling to point to some seminal film like that that stayed with them for their entire lives. You know? I, I would talk to Mark Hamill, my good friend Mark Hamill, told yes. me that his Star Wars was King Kong. Okay. Um, I think, I think a lot of this, a lot of this has to do with the age that you're seeing films and the type of films that you are seeing, but ultimately there's a sweet spot between about eight or nine years old to about maybe 14 or 15 years old, maybe 16. Obviously there's a little spread there, but that that's a time where your brain is wired to uh, maximum, maximum appreciation and, and, and uh, emotion when you're watching these films. And, they get hardwired into your brain. And subsequently, when you come back to these things, you seem to ultimately realize that those were the movies that really meant a lot to you. So it doesn't matter what decade you were seeing them. It, it matters what age you were. Mm. So uh, arguably, you, you talk to enough people, you, they, you might find what their Star Wars was for them. You know, something yeah. that was, again, like a seismic impact on them. You could argue but, but, Park. You know, was was that kind of level of wow? Right. You know, everyone's jaw dropped when they, you know, saw the dip. But, but I, but I think that there's a there's a disconnect. I just want to say about audiences now. There's so much available to them. They don't know where to start. And and we are telling them that all these movies are great for all these different reasons. And and they know that, but they don't know why because they're not getting their own movies. So right. Harry Potter, you know, Twilight. Whatever it is for subsequent generations, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of force feeding them franchises saying that this is your new favorite thing. And for some people, it, it, it is that, uh, you know, and I, I mean, when, when Force Awakens came out, it was a great opportunity to, you know, talk about different generations and the Star Wars that meant a lot to them. And so my son, you know, my son's eight years old. Uh, he saw Force Awakens and Last Jedi, and he thinks they're amazing. And, and, and so I, I was talking with someone when she was a kid, she saw Phantom Menace, and she loved it, and she loved Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> and, and why shouldn't she? Why shouldn't she? You know, and, and it, it sort of became this element of why, are, why am I being uh, raked over the coals for liking a character that was geared towards me when I was a 10-year-old kid? Uh, you know, what's the difference between that and, you know, Jawas or Cantina characters or even Chewbacca. So it's easy, it's easy to judge, but I think for each their own when they're the right age. And, uh, if you do a little bit of investigation, maybe we can determine what that Star Wars is for your generations. You know, the three films that you just, we just discussed, 
they have in common uh, at the time technological breakthroughs for effects. You know, King Kong, Star Wars, and Jurassic Park. I wonder if it has something to do with that, tra- you know, transporting you to a new world. It's sort of something magical about that. Um, I don't want to go too long without talking about the campaign. So what what do you need to accomplish here? We want to help. We want to make sure that you can continue, you know, providing these opportunities for us to learn about these properties that we thought we knew there was all to know about. And then there's so much more to know. So how can folks uh, help support the upcoming In Search of Tomorrow? So the our Kickstarter campaign launches on 21st of April. It's a 26-day campaign and it finishes at midnight uh pst on the on the 17th of may and um you know i'm really really excited we're working with some incredible collaborators this has been a year in development to get to this point so we already have a stellar list of 80 sci-fi hollywood talent already involved we're going to be adding to that list throughout the production life cycle all the way up till the end of the year are you um, able to drop some names? David? Yeah, absolutely. Um, try, try Getting amazing folks, just like we did with In Search of Darkness. We, uh, we have actors, we have directors, we've got composers, we've got effects masters. Uh, so everything from, from E.T., we've got, uh, you know, Elliot and his mom himself. We've got Henry Thomas and we've got Dee Wallace. Wow. Um, Paul Verhoeven, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you're talking RoboCop, we've you know got director of all Paul Verhoeven. Uh, you have uh, uh, Nancy Allen. Uh, you've got Shane Kurt Black. Black. Sorry, Shane Black. Shane, oh, yeah, okay. Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Smith, Shane Black. I, I mean, it's just uh, an, an Alex embarrassing. Winter, Alex Winter, Sean Connery. Yeah, yeah, it, we've got those, it, it's it's amazing. Like the lineup's already amazing, um, and the, we're we're just going to add add to this. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier that we're trying to take the concept and dial everything up to eleven. So this is about not just eighties movies, but looking eighties sci-fi, but looking at the ideas and recontextualizing, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the films. The goal. For Insert of Tomorrow, as you sit down and it's like it's a binge watch experience. You know, we want this to be four or five hours long. Um, we want to go from 1980 to 1989. And we want to remind you of why these films are so special. We want to really sort of trigger that nostalgia, but we also want to add to the experience. And the way that we add to the experience is we help you understand the work in new, uh, new ways. You know, I want to get Elon Musk talking about the DeLorean. I want to get right. Sir Tim Berners-Lee talking about war games. Like, I want to go next level. I want to, t- I want to get, like, the world's greatest futurists talking about some of the ideas from Terminator, you know, and, 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 and the dystopias that, are, you know, come out of um, some of the themes in these movies, as well as have the directors, actors, VFX people, the people that were responsible for crafting this all together. So it becomes this, you know, incredibly unique experience, which, which adds to the work. And in addition, itself. in addition to talking about their own projects and, and, and revealing new stories and new angles on the things that we thought we knew, 
they also talk about their their favorites. What what moved them? What inspired them? Why they love a lot of these other movies that came out during that era, and what led to them wanting to do it for themselves. It's real fun. How do you decide what films to cover? That's actually a really good question. So, um, so we have a list, and it's a kind of moving list, and it really depends on who we get access to, the limitations of producing a project like ours, because you can't feature everything. So we do have to make decisions. And, you know, not everything's set in stone, which is part of the value proposition for backers, because, you know, our mantra is by the fans for the fans. You know, if you become part of this project, you join us on this journey, you're a stakeholder in in the process you know we are ultimately delivering for you we want to know who you want to see you know so um the kickstarter during the kickstarter every week we're having watch parties and we've got a whole program and timeline of activity with special guest q a's community discussions that will be running throughout the production life cycle and this community is only for, for 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 backers so we want people to get you know many, many, many hours of entertainment and relationships and, and new friends from being in this project, being involved in this project. You know, one of the things that I learned with In Search of Darkness is when we released it, people went nuts and, you know, went posting up their credits. You know, I've got my name in a film with John Carpenter. How mad is that? Yep. And it was, it was incredible to see that. And we, we just want to build on that. We want people who are part of this journey with us I want them to pass the Blu-ray down through generations. I want it to be a family heirloom. You know, it's something that they were part of. And, you know, my job is really to try and bring everybody together. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's, that's the ultimate goal for Insert of Tomorrow. Robin Robin earlier was talking about genre bleed. And so there, there's a, there's a incredibly large spectrum of movies that were made in the eighties that, that, are are just pure sci-fi through and through uh, or touch on sci-fi. And so there's a certain element where you can find sci-fi in a lot of these films and a lot of these films mean something to you. So you could, you could for every, you know, Star Trek two or, or Saturn three that will be uh, on an equal playing field in terms of the way we approach it. You're still, you've got war games, you've got Blue Thunder, you've got Weird Science, you've got Mad Max, you've got Superman 3, uh, you know, uh, you've got Swamp Thing. There, there's a variety of films that, that use science that, that changes lives, whether it's dystopian or futuristic, you know, uh, alongside the likes of, you know, Blade Runner and, and Aliens and E.T. and Cocoon. So uh, it's really finding... Uh, the best ways to approach those films and to include them and also to, again, having, having the fans be part of the process and, and vocalizing why they love these movies. It creates a lot of insight into how we approach the dissection and the, uh, the deconstruction of these films in a positive way. Excellent. And so, and once again, how do we find you to uh, help become a backer? Okay, so we're going to be on Kickstarter, but the URL, uh, which will redirect to Kickstarter, is 80s80ssci-fi-doc.com, 80ssci-fi-doc.com. Um, and yeah, like I'm, I'm so excited. If I look at where we are 
compared to the similar position when we started in Search of Darkness, the horror documentary, we're light years ahead in terms of, of um, you know, the talent we've got involved and the production team and even just the partners we're working with to get the message out there. So I'm really, really excited and we're only a few days away now. But you, the videos we've got with launching this are like insane. I cannot wait uh, to share them. Very good. So we'll make sure we remind folks where to go to help out because, yeah, you know, in talking to you for this short time, one of the most impressive thing about you, about you gentlemen is that you do this for the love of it, for the fans of it. As you said, you know, it's, uh, it's, and that's something special. So, okay. So I've got some questions for you before I let you go, you know, in brief. Okay. First sure. of all, favorite sci-fi film from the eighties. This should be an easy one, right? Uh, I hate this question because I, I want to say, too, all, right? yes, yeah, <laughs> I, have, I, I have many favorites for many different reasons for many moods. And my favorite today could be by uh, a, a different favorite tomorrow. Um, Wrong answer. The answer is Blade Runner. Robin, <laughs> just kidding. I just kidding. I disagree. I disagree. No, so no. I love Blade Runner. But, um, oh, man, if I, I, I this answer is going to be based on the movie I've watched the most, mm. right, throughout my life. Oh, God, it's a real toss-up, right? It's Aliens. Ooh, it has yeah. to be Aliens, right? Yep. Um, but a very, very close second is Terminator mm. stroke Robocop, right? So, that, do you know, there, are, there is such a thing as perfect movies. Yes, like I just agree. Like, just films that are perfect. Predator, Robocop, Terminator, Aliens are flawless. And, and it's very hard to choose between them. And it doesn't matter how many times I watch them, but I'm always completely engaged they just have that magic i'm going to choose one that's not my all-time favorite but it's 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 one i return to many times as well right. and it, and it always brings me happiness and a smile on my face and i always have to watch as much of it if not the whole thing whenever i come back to it and that's flash gordon oh yes yeah, sam jones. I, oh. sam jones is not dog yes flash sam j jones is part of our film and yeah uh, okay. that's awesome i've just thought of the other movie that i love, <laughs> love, love right and it needs to get more people need to talk about this movie more it's repo man oh, mm-hmm. oh absolutely love right. repo man you know i went to see a screening last year as well and um it just harry dean stanton is just perfection it's one of my favorite roles of his and just how that movie makes me feel. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I would love to get Alex Cox in, in search of tomorrow because it's like, I can't think of a more punk rock 80s sci-fi, you know, movie. I think it's well, I'll, I'll tell you what, Robin, Alex Cox wants to do our movie. We just have to pin him down. It's already, it's already done 99%. Wow. That's exciting. I'm like, <laughs> not you, you heard it here first. Exclusive. Okay. So, Hey, <laughs> Since you guys are fans of sci-fi from the 80s, got some trivia questions for you. Do you think you can... Ex- oh, what, what, why is Robin pointing down? Does that mean... Is that a good thing? I or? think he's pointing at me. Oh, he's I pointing heard. at you. Are you below him? <laughs> this is that Brady Bunch thing. All right, well, let's just see. Okay. Robin, but you said you're a fan of the aliens, so the fir- of aliens, so the first question goes to you. In the film, everybody knows Private Hudson says, Game over, man! Paul Reiser's character has the next line. What does he say? <laughs> you know what? I think I need to design because okay. I should know this. Is it, oh, you got it, David? Maybe we should build build a fire, sing some songs. That's right. Ow! Very good. Okay. Let's see. I'll give you, I'll give you a, a couple more here based on some of the films that we talked about here, okay? 
And some of these are just straight up easy for you guys. In the film Blade Runner, what's the motto of the Tyrell Corporation? Like the, like the Rob Zombie song yes. that took from it, more human than human. Very good. Right, of course. All right. In, in the first Back to the Future, how many minutes slow were Doc Brown's clocks set? I will, I will be transparent and say I cannot remember. I remember they were slow, but I can't remember how many. 15 it's been, it's been, it's been a, a bit. It's been a minute <laughs> since I've seen Back to the Future and paid attention to that detail. Okay. It's 25 minutes. That was, you know, good guess there, Robin. But okay. All right. And final question here. Since you All talk- right. You're going to reveal the cracks with every additional <laughs> yeah, question. We're not doing another interview <laughs> we'll, like this. We'll, <laughs> we'll, edit out the, we'll edit out the wrong answers. Okay. Have, all right. One more. Come on. In Flash Gordon, how many hours does Flash have to save the Earth, according to Dale? I think it's 24 hours, right? Uh, I think no? it's, 48 hours, 24, uh, I think it's 26 hours. Cause they do, they use the hmm. sample in the queen song. Don't oh. they? Oh, is it when like, uh, uh, the bat- got 26 hours to save, like, Oh yeah. yeah, it's close. It's 14 hours. 14 hours. All right. I remember, it's funny. I remember the quote that I've heard a million times, but I, I clearly don't pay attention to the numbers. Yeah. I'm about the, I'm, I'm oh. about the feeling, not, not the ca- tech. I didn't even catch that. Okay. Well, hey, I won't torture you, you guys with these questions any longer. What Ray and I always say is, hey, you can love the 80s and appreciate the 80s and understand that what we believe is that objectively it was the best for all pop culture, including science fiction films, but not necessarily know everything about all those things. It's just impossible to know. Uh, and uh, I, I normally expect to lose trivia. In fact, Ray and I did an episode recently where we competed and we won by one point and it was and the very last question. Uh, Anyway, but hey, so you, you present you've presented a Kobayashi Maru for us. <laughs> <laughs> you've redeemed and we've yourself. Got Nicholas Meyer in the in the film as well. The, you know, it's interesting, right? Like, um, we'd love to we'd love to come and talk to you again. Um, you know, when, when the film is out, uh, which will be next summer, and we'd love to give you guys uh, a sneak peek um, and, 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 and jump on again because I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, We've worked so hard to get to this point. And with crowdfunding, you know, it's a meritocracy. You get what you deserve. You you, you never know how it's going to go. So uh, we really appreciate being on here. And and thanks so much for having us. Ditto. Yeah, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, gentlemen. And, you know, uh, we all look forward to the film ultimately coming out and are excited to support it. And we'll be sure and visit 80sscifidoc.com to do so beginning April 21st. Through and this is my new poster. If I just duck out of frame. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Oh, that's nice. That yeah. is exciting. Yeah. Good guys on the right, bad guys on the left. So who did the art this time? I know with the horror doc, you got uh, all of the artists is escaping me, but he did some. Oh, Graham, Graham Humphreys. Okay. Right. Graham Humphreys is actually doing some art for this one as well. Uh, it was I was supposed to see on Monday. Um, this is a guy called Dave Morell, mm. who I absolutely love and has knocked out of the part with this. And, you know, I'm in the way, but uh, if you go into the Kickstarter, you'll see it. It's part of the reward tiers. Okay. It's absolutely beautiful. And there's a there's a Star Wars Easter egg mm. in there. Oh. All right. Now we've got to get it. All right, everybody. Mm-hmm. Make sure you visit 80sscifidoc.com, if only to find the Easter egg. Okay. Thanks for chatting with us, uh, David Weiner and Robin Block. We look forward to seeing the film. Thanks for having us. Take care. Absolute pleasure. Love Thanks, your podcast. Guys. Thank you. Well, that was exciting. We got to be in on the start of their latest endeavor, the latest endeavor of creator 
uh, VC. If you haven't, check out their other films in search of The Last Action Heroes and in search of uh, Darkness, which are two films that chronicle 80s action films and horror films in a way that you will you can't believe. You'll learn so much about these films that you thought you knew everything about already. And now we've got this to look forward to being a part of, as a big play role, as a backer even, for their documentary about 80s sci-fi. Yeah, I had a lot of fun talking to those guys. They were just really cool to, to hang out with. Yeah. And hey, it was fun. You know, I learned some things. But I don't know if we've proven anything about the 1980s today. We have proven oh, beyond okay. a shadow of a doubt. A doubt? No shadows. Beyond. No okay. shadows. Yeah. In Search of Tomorrow is an absolute must-see documentary about the 80s. 100%. It'll provide us with content for years to come. All right, hey, and we'll talk to you next time on The Idiots. See ya. See ya.